2: I'm Dave Hawkins. Thanks for coming to The Antidote. I hope you love the unusual in music, because that's what's heard from the band Azusa. It's prog, it's metal, and a whole lot more. Azusa only came onto the scene in 2014, and their debut album, Heavy Yoke, released in 2018. Then, just a couple of months ago, came their follow-up, the stellar Loops of Yesterday, which included our opening song, Memories of an Old Emotion. Last week, I spoke about Cush being a supergroup. Tonight's guest, Azusa, also fits that kind of label, since it includes former members of Extol, C and Air, and several other bands. So I decided to invite Liam Wilson, former bass player for the Dillinger Escape Plan, to come for a talk about his role in Azusa and from the Heavy Yoke album we get the song Distant Call. Enjoy. Bass player extraordinaire Liam Wilson of Azusa has joined the antidote. Thanks for coming for a talk, Liam.
1: Ah, oh, thanks for having me.
2: You know, I went online to check into the band name Azusa, and I found that I could either refer to a Southeast Asian tree or a woman's name. Do either of those fit?
1: Uh, well, the woman's name... I guess is part of it. Um, Well, I'll say this. It's not my name. It's uh, David. It was his idea. It was just a name. He loves Japanese culture. I think that has something to do with it. He also was raised in the Pentecostal faith. Mm -hmm. And I believe that they had the Azusa street revival was kind of the start of the Pentecostal. That's
2: right. That's way back.
1: Right. So I think that there was the connection there. So the Azusa Street Revival got its name because it happened in Azusa, California.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So then you have to ask, well, how did Azusa, California get its name? I believe the story that we found is that there was a young native woman who you know, basically got a reputation for healing people and perhaps healed somebody outside of her tribe or You know, I'm not really sure what the status at this time was, but essentially this person, after they were healed, gave her the name, and I believe it means something like healer or miracle worker. But really, it was just kind of like a simple, direct, catchy. It has a nice symmetry to it. Um, You know, I, I really don't think we overthought it too much.
2: But now you're creating the new history.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope that we eventually become the name you think of when you think of that name.
2: I really love how Azusa is an international band. I mean, you've got members from Norway, the States, and Germany. How did you guys make it all begin?
1: Uh, well, I'm a fan of guitarist Krister and drummer David's former band, x When I heard one of the records, Synergy, that one really shocked me. I was already listening to him, but when that dropped, I was like, whoa, this is, this is peak X-Toll. And a couple years later, I was doing, I guess, recording a Dillinger record. I want to say maybe it was Option Paralysis. And I was looking for some reference material for bass tones that I liked. So when I was going into the studio, I was trying to show Steve, like, you know, these are kind of the things that I'm going for, a certain something I haven't been able to achieve in my tone. So I reached out to somebody in the band that I found on MySpace, which you know just tells you how long ago it was. Basically, just said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm a fan, and I'm looking for any secret weapons or studio tricks you know of, you know, some Norwegian pedal or something <laughs> that made this so special. And maybe it's nothing, you know. And I think he was just like, ah, oh, it's probably just like you know, P bass direct into the board. I'm like, okay. I mean, if that's all it is, that's great." Long story short, uh, he was like, "I didn't even play on the record, but I'll make sure that these guys know that you're a fan. I'm sure they would be flattered." Fast forward seven to ten years or something—I'm not sure. I just randomly get a message from David uh, asking, "Like, hey, we have some new material that's starting from, I guess, the Orphans." from the synergy record things that didn't make it on that record riffs that were just kind of left over um and just for listeners who aren't aware they're cousins Christer left x after the synergy record and never reconnected so when they kind of made a personal reconnection it was like hey we have this unfinished business obviously we get along really well let's see what we can do So that was the start of it. They put together probably four songs and sent me two of them just to kind of get my opinion. And being a fan of them, I knew I would like it. And right when I heard it, I was like, this is awesome. This is challenging. This is right up my alley. It's what I'm good at, but it's fresh. You know, I'm kind of typecast for this stuff. I don't really want to do something that's just another heavy band. Um, but I do find this really interesting. I think as a musician, it's challenging. i like to get under the hood of musicians who I already respect. So that was the start of that. So we started exchanging emails. I started learning the, these riffs and Krista would send me some videos. So that process was moving. And as I was kind of catching up to them, obviously, the discussions of how do we flesh out the rest of the band became the discussion. So. Uh, I wanted to be in a band with a female front woman. Um, I I thought that that was like a really unique experience. I thought the energy was different, you know, years of being in Dillinger and everything. It just was like, wow, this is kind of fresh. So I I came back to Dave and I said, Hey, I just got off this tour. We've been kind of struggling to find the right vocalist. And I'm also trying to do something new. I just don't want another guy who's going to scream and then sing and then Even if they're awesome, it just seems a little stale coming off the Dillinger thing. You know, but we also realized that we still kind of wanted a little bit of that Jekyll and Hyde-ness, but maybe not a guy. So when I said that, David was like, ah, yeah, I think I know the right person for this. Uh, I remember seeing this woman perform years ago. She had a really cool energy, really great stage presence. Uh, that ball started rolling and really quickly we had, you know, a couple demos with Elaney's vocals on it, and you know, really she was like the first person we actually tried out and it was custom fit, you know, it was a glass slipper for us as far as I'm concerned.
2: But she was the surprise in the band for me. Here it was she was doing indie pop vocals with C and Air. Yeah. Was that a huge thing for her to turn on the screens for Azusa?
1: Well the band that David saw her in was a band called Jumbo Jet, which preceded CNR. So she had that screaming thing in her, but CNR was kind of like, "I'm going to learn how to sing." You know, she, as far as I know, she doesn't really have any formal training at this level or at this intensity. I think it's all new for her too. So yeah, I mean, I think we were all surprised, and not just at her, at just like how this all happened. You know, there's four members in the band, but it kind of feels like there's a fifth with this, you know, really strong muse presence. There is like something more here than what we all add up to.
0: I think-
2: Being as you are, and a talented guy, wouldn't it be easy to become overcommitted with different projects?
1: Oh, I'm 1,000% overcommitted to everything. But you the know, question it, is, do you like being overcommitted? Uh, I think that it, it's part of the creative process for me. I think I need to have a certain amount of pressure, you know, which is probably why I end up doing all this you know, very rehearsed, very technical music. You know, I I am kind of self-conscious about how poor of an improviser I might be because I spend so much time just like shedding small things. Like, uh, you know, I'm just going to take this one riff in Interstellar and it's honestly going to take me a month to get it up to speed. And I'm just going to sit here with a metronome like I'm doing reps and deadlifts and just eventually get it to the tempo it needs to be. And for whatever reason, I enjoy that kind of Uh, creative process. I feel like I'm playing like a role-playing game like Zelda or something. i got to go out and like kill a bunch of monsters so I have enough to afford the silver sword or something. You know, it it just feels like I'm just going to sit in the room. I'm going to do this because it's kind of a meditation. So, yeah, I like being overly committed. I mean, it's better than not having anything to do. As my grandmother would always say, and this is probably where I get a little bit of my crazy, is if you want to get something done, ask a busy person. And you are that busy person. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to stay busy. You know, and and it's also like life is short. You know, I've had a couple um, harrowing experiences over the last, uh, I'm going to say like three or four years. I've had a couple, you know, things that make me realize that I'm very mortal and that I'm not special. (laughs) (laughs) And it also allows me to kind of be like, okay, well, then if I want to do this, I got to burn for it. I do have day jobs and other creative things that I'm into. I mean, the way I am about music is kind of the way I am about everything. I'm a perpetual hobbyist. <laughs> I, I can't stop. I have to
2: be totally upfront here and explain that I am a huge fan of Extol. And Azusa is the third band that I've spoken with who has members that were formerly in Extol. Okay. So here comes the big question. Do you feel yes. that Azusa is a clone or is similar to Extol?
1: I definitely don't think it's a clone. Um, you know, obviously, it shares some DNA. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, and I guess in that sense, if we're talking about, like, uh, you know, botany, yeah, we took a clipping off the Extol plant, put some root stimulant on it, and replanted it. And over here, it's growing and it's doing its own thing. And it shares a lot of that. But it's kind of more of a graft than a clone in the sense that we're taking a bunch of different species and kind of putting it together. Having Elaney alone makes it not Extol. And by that, I mean not just in the sound. You know, Extol was very much coming from the same place. And as you know, as an Extol fan, it's a very convicted thing. Um if extol didn't have that strong Christian element, it wouldn't be Extol. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if it can't be that all or nothingness, then Extol can't really proceed. I think that Azusa was just kind of an opportunity for it to kind of not have to be that. Especially for David, I think it was like, you know, extol had to be the best. 100% at all times. And I think with Azusa, it's a little bit more victory lap for everybody. Where it's like, I know I'm not 20 and about to get in the van and burn for it. You know, I'm not as thirsty as I was. I'm not out to beat the street nine months a year to make this work, which is what I did for Dillinger. But at my age, with my life and my family and everything, it's like, that's not my priority anymore. You know, and if you see those videos of x Live, it's like, of course they were out for blood. You know, in their own way. And Azusa is a little bit more like, let's go have fun. Let's go share our gifts. Let's go enjoy this. Um, And not to say that we write casually, but it's just the expectation and the goals are a little bit more comfortable. I, I guess it just kind of removes some of the conflict of needing to be the best at all times. No, I don't think that Azusa is a clone, nor do I think like Flesh Killer is a clone. Christer and David are, they already know what they're doing. They don't really even need my help. I'm just going to lay down my bass line, uh, you know, which is often very collaborative too. Assuming you would notice in the liner notes or anything, but like David produces and records all this stuff too.
2: That's wild.
1: He's a machine. He's an incredible (laughs) artist. Very unique individual, especially as a drummer. His role in the band is just, he's the heart and soul.
2: What an amazingly diverse vocalist. Eleni seems like she can do it all, soft vocals and the hard. That was Fine Line, another of the songs from Heavy Yoke. Next up, I ask Liam about that debut album and the song Interstellar Islands. I do want to get into the latest album from Azusa, but first I'd really like to talk about your band's debut, Heavy Yoke, On the opening song Interstellar Islands, The music is complex. You got time signature changes galore. I mean, it's almost experimental. How do you begin to develop the band's sound?
1: Well, I think it's so hard to be objective about this and answer this uh, in a way that doesn't sound pretentious. But I think part of it is you get a sound by choosing a certain membership. You know, I'm not a rookie, and, you know, I have a style. And I have a sound and it's still developing, of course. And I still think that I'm a terrible musician and I still like am very self-flagellating. But I have a thing, especially in a studio setting. That thing, you know, kind of surprises me when I'm like, I can't even get that thing out of me if I tried. It just happens. So I think when you have players who have, you know, this isn't their first rodeo. We have a lot of time under our belt. Krista and David already have a lot of time together, too. So I think you just kind of pick musical personalities to create that with. Uh, In the beginning, especially for Heavy Yoke, a lot of that sound was sort of, I'm saying channeled in the sense of, like, there was already a trench dug, and Elaney and I just kind of had to fill it. You know, we just kind of had to walk through that trench, because I didn't have to have a shovel at all. You know, David and Krister did the heavy lifting, and we just kind of had to, you know, ice the cake. You know, you choose your producers, you choose your mixing person. You know, we went with, you know, Nick Terry again on this record in the last one. He has a lot to do with our sound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you choose the musicians, you know, part of it is also like, I have a sound because of the gear I chose. So basically, I'm just kind of coming up with a bunch of different ways to say that so much of it like isn't conscious outside of just choosing the right people and hoping that they bring enough of themselves. People who are connected to spirit, in some sense, or people who allow that to be part of the matrix, Um, you know, which is also just another level of craftsmanship and artistic awareness. Maybe it's a bass player thing. You know, I don't know. I'm just kind of blocking for touchdowns. You know, I'm not the quarterback, and I never wanted to be. Bass
2: players, right. Liam, right? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the old invisible yeah. bass player joke. Oh, I mean, we are.
1: I find it so amusing that bass players are kind of notoriously like the freak flag flying dude in the band or or woman. You know, it's <laughs> you know, you think of bass players that I grew up with, it was like a dude named Flea, a dude named Les, who both dressed ridiculous. Then you always had like the peanut or the fieldie. You know, it was kind of always the bass player being this funky fitness signaling weirdo. Um, and I was always like, man, I love the bass and I love these players, but like, I would love to just hide. I don't want to wear like pants that are just nothing but stuffed animals like. Ah. <laughs> so I kind of got into bass playing to like hide a little bit like I want to be on stage, but I don't want to be the star. And I think that that just goes into the bass player personality in the band in general, whether it's about you know, my parts or something, I'm just kind of trying to be a team player, an essential member, something that you would notice if it wasn't there. But I I feel like my role in the band, more about being like a peacemaker, you know, keeping things democratic and, you know, good communication, you know, between people.
2: To get back into something you just mentioned a little while ago about X carrying that Christian band label. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that hasn't been the case with Azusa, even though there are some Christian themed songs that come in, right. like Iniquitous Spiritual Praxis, but they don't dominate. So, was that no. intentional with the songwriting?
1: Well, yes and no. Um, without pointing out names, I think some people in the band were more comfortable, you know with that and other people were a little bit less comfortable with it. I think everybody was comfortable with it to a degree, you know, or respected that certain people need that element in the matrix. or at least like that that person needs to be able to fully express themselves mm-hmm. and that aspect of their personality without feeling like it's encroaching on somebody else's um, you know comfort zone. So that was something that was laid out from the start, you know, and I was, I was concerned. It's like, I'm, I was raised Roman Catholic. I understand, you know, some of the culture. Um, I've always loved theology. I love reading religious texts. I love having those kind of debates. I'm into it. And I've always kind of been a seeker. Like I I've always felt a connection to spirit, uh, You know, for me personally, I at least could put that down on the table and be like, as long as I'm not offending you, I'm not going to be offended. And I I actually take pride in being tolerant, being patient, being, you know, willing to have the dialogue and and not have it get ugly. So I knew that that would always be part of it. And something just simply because of the membership, we're never going to be able to escape it. It's always going to be a question. Are you guys a Christian band? it's interesting how everybody really supports everybody else there. Cause somebody in the band would be like, absolutely. We share that belief. Somebody else in the band would be like, actually, I have a real problem with that and here's why. Um, and you can hear it like on that iniquitous spiritual practice. It's like, it is a Christian theme song, but it's arguably kind of poking, um, by no means criticism, but just kind of asking pretty bold questions. It's not a worship song, you know? Um, I think things like Monument, same thing. You know, we're willing to have a discussion from that point of view, but it might not necessarily be a clean-cut praise kind of song. Um, and I love that it's a little because bit, that's intelligent. Well, it's also kind of adult. It's like, as an adult, I'm questioning these things differently, or my faith is stronger than ever, but the church is not or my position in it, or my church has failed me. And instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I'm going to hold on to the baby, you know, being God, but maybe get rid of the church part until I find a home for myself. Um, So there's a lot of other stuff going on here that I think is just like a more mature and more honest, vulnerable position on that kind of stuff.
2: What a great answer.
1: I'm trying to answer this for myself constantly, too. <laughs> you know, I do, I do think that having a connection to, you know, God, whatever that God might look like to you is paramount. But I'm not going to criticize somebody because they don't have the same, you know, belief system that I do or the same way of worshiping that I do. That misses the point entirely. This is Liam Wilson from the band Azusa, and you have found the antidote.
2: Was iniquitous spiritual praxis from Azusa. It's time for Liam Wilson and I to get into the first part of our talk about the new album Loop of Yesterdays and the track Golden Words. Azusa brought out an awesome follow-up when it released Loop of Yesterdays a couple months ago. You know, the Heavy Yoke album carried a theme of humanity's dual nature. What about Loop of Yesterdays? Does it also carry a theme? Yeah.
1: Um, I'll set this up by saying, you know, the way we wrote Heavy Yoke, David and Chris are kind of sending demos to Elaney and I, and not really knowing our personalities all that well. And we didn't really know theirs either. This time around, we spent, you know, still not a considerable amount of time, but we know each other quite well. And, you know, with that, we understand each other's skill sets. And there's a lot more vulnerability and a lot more... um desire to influence the greater thing, you know, at least for Elaney and I, I think it was a little bit more like, okay, now we really have to put our stamp on this in a different way. And these guys are going to give us a pitch we can hit now because they know what we're capable of. They know what our strengths are. They know what our weaknesses are. They know what the Azusa sound needs to be. So that said, the theme this time around is a little bit more, um, it's basically about how, in the last couple years, there have been some real nukes in our lives, and not all bad. You know, it could be anything from death, disease, divorce. You know, those kind of things that happen. You know, and not to say it's in a, you know that these things happen only to adults, but these things tend to happen, especially when you're hitting like forty, is your life just gets more complicated. You know, when you're 20 and somebody breaks your heart, it's like, okay, I'm moving on. At 40, it's like your life kind of stops, you know, and at the same time, there's other joys that just don't always happen. If you're 20 having a kid, it's probably a really stressful situation. At 40, it might be the most joyful thing that could possibly happen to you. So balancing out this kind of like really adult themed stuff that just seemed to slam into all of us. Um, You know, when I look at other people in my life, it's funny that it seems like the most dramatic changes have happened to my band members. And making music with that theme, some of this didn't really hit me until we were mixing Lupo Yesterday's. And then I had some real life nukes happen. So it was just like a really heavy process. I think that, you know, lyrically it has a lot to do with... You know, personal defeat and kind of licking your wounds and getting back on the horse. You know, it's also really emotional. This record is a little bit sadder. It's a little heavier, I think. It's a little bit more real. Absolutely. Um, I think Heavy Yoke is a little bit more like we're trying to shock you a little bit, we're trying to impress you a little bit. There's a little bit more ego. It's a lot of head thinking. And I think that. Lupa yesterday's is a little bit more heart forward. So, yeah, I'm not sure if it's necessarily a nicely packaged theme, but the themes themselves are just deeper, way more personal. You know, at the same time way more on their sleeve. Um artistically it's definitely coming from an era in our lives.
2: Well, I'm glad to get that kind of an explanation because I have to tell you something. When I first heard the album title loop of yesterdays i mean all i could think of was groundhog day yeah obviously there's no oh, connection I mean, to the movie
1: it's so funny even just thinking about that album coming out you know our our captions on social media during a pandemic talking about an album called loop of yesterdays just seems so sinister and ironic to us <laughs> you know um you know just kind of <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess it's hard not to at least mention the irony there. Well, I
2: mean, with what you're doing, Azusa is building a big reputation for developing creative music. Both releases have had the critics raving. Doesn't that make it tough to keep it at the top level? Or is that a concern?
1: Um, well, I think that having a certain amount of expectation on you from the public sphere is healthy as an artist because as i've said i think that in some sense i'm not necessarily the origin or source of all of this stuff what we're doing is kind of capturing something out of the kind of ethnosphere taking it from the idea realm and making it into something more tangible but i think that where we're reaching and grabbing this stuff is coming from a collective consciousness. We're making the music that the world has kind of been collectively creating behind the scenes. Anyway, we're just kind of taking it out onto the stage now. So, I mean, I do think there's an expectation. I do think that some of that is motivating. I do think that because this isn't our first rodeo or personality, is also kind of like, I don't really care what other people think if they love it. Great. You know, and there's been a lot of reviews that aren't great, or there's been a lot of reviews that even if it's a good review, and they might give us an eight, there could be like two or three sentences in the review that just drive us crazy. You know, just like, ah, I wish I could respond to that, you know, or like, you know, I might even read a review and be like, up oh, guilty as charged. And David and Krista don't see it that way. Hmm. So I try not to read too much into that stuff. I like seeing the scoreboard. I don't really care if I'm winning or losing. Just don't block the scoreboard. I like reading the reviews, um, but I don't really get too up in my head if they don't align with what I want them to say. All that said, yes, I think that we have our own standards. We have our own expectations for what we can deliver. Um, we know that if we got this far in the last one, then we have to push it. You know, We might not be able to push it in every way, but it's like, okay, well, if we only spent seven days mixing the last one, then we absolutely need 10 days on this one, you know, or more, you know, even if it's just a little bit more in some sense, we know what we want to do better. You know, the second album is different because I think you're, you're kind of in some ways trying to support and justify your first release, but you also want to make sure that people don't typecast you, you know, so you might put some more daring things. I think we are a little bit more brave Uh, with heavy yoke in terms of the variety and the diversity of stuff and a little bit more of that like pop thing came out there i think that of yesterday's is a little bit more of a uh, a more homogenous blend of what we do in every song Uh, i'm really curious to see what the third one would be
2: something here because what you just said ties in directly. Part of a verse from Seven Demons Mary says, Mary cut her own path, she did her own math, Timbered a new box labeled unorthodox. That could be used to describe Azusa. I mean, the band has been described as having a unique blend of melodic thrash, jazz fusion, hardcore, and early 90s riff pop. I mean, I know that standing out from the crowd is great, but can being too unique make a band hard to sell?
1: Yes, it does. However, um, that is assuming that everybody's goal is full success by any means. I think that my goal, you know, and something that I said in the very beginning, you know, when I was started working with these guys was, I have zero interest in fitting in with a tradition or making something that fits really nicely into a genre. I'm you know, way more interested in creating our own genre or at the very least branching into a subgenre that other bands may follow us. You know, and I think I'm taking something out of the Dillinger playbook there of we never really set out to be the math metal band And for years, when people would call us that, we'd be like, ew, and we would never want to promote that. But now I realize that that's kind of a compliment. You know, it's our fans kind of acknowledging like, hey, you guys had your own thing and we don't know what to call it. and Maybe this isn't the best name, but, you know, at least honor the fact that we recognize that it's different and other things now are trying to be like it. And that was something that I realized it was a feature, not a bug. And I wanted Azusa to have a similar kind of ethos. You know, I wanted metal people to like it. I wanted fusion people to like it. I wanted the people who would like it, you know, Dillinger fans, x fans, whatever. I wanted everybody who was supposed to like it, to like it. But I also wanted them to like it because it wasn't cookie cutter. I don't really think that any artist would ever come out and say that they want their music to be cookie cutter, but that doesn't mean that the music isn't, you know, and, and, and maybe that's, Not for me to say. I think that for us, you know, 90% of it is just like, hey, we were able to put out another album with almost no money and we all live in different countries and we have hardly any time to actually tour and support this stuff. And yet we did something that we're all proud of. We did something that I'm willing to sacrifice a lot of my time and energy to do for little payoff. Luckily, we've been able to at least break even, or I expect to break even at the end of all this financially. Like I said earlier, I'm not 20. I'm not trying to you know, romanticize life on the road. Everybody in this band pretty much has a family. Although we would love to tour more, we are never going to go out on the road for nine months and try to turn us into a band that's headlining festivals and is all over the radio. If that happens organically, great. Um, We'll take it, but I think that our goal is just to kind of make music with our friends and luckily we've kind of had some success in our previous efforts that afford us an audience who will allow us to believe that we deserve to keep making this stuff.
2: From Loop of Yesterday's, the latest release by Azusa, we heard Seven Demons Marry. During my talk with Liam, I mentioned that I was a big fan of the band x They were a band who were enormously influential, with a style that was always pushing the envelope. And over the years, the antidote has been joined by three of the x Stool offspring, flesh killer, Mantric, and tonight we met with Azusa. All the bands have different styles, but you can always hear those extol roots in each one. The music next week will be lighter. The Antidote is joined by David Weeb, Frederick Tamagi, and Carla Olive. The three artists join together to release Spirit Searcher Volume 1. It's an unusual release where the songs deal with questioning and challenging the artist's faith. Tune in The Antidote next week to hear their stories. It's time to say goodbye to Liam Wilson of Azusa, along with the song Monument. Have a good week, and I'll see you next time. I want to close the antidote with the Azusa song Monument. There's a verse from it that says, They built a wall, fastidiously concerned with spiritualizing, rationalizing the unease, aligning faith with circumstance. I realize that you weren't doing the lyric writing. But do you have any idea what brought the song about?
1: Um, I think that the gist of it, or some of it, has to do with the idea of, let's say, a church or a religious leader or something, you know, a personality or a community of people um, whose default for every problem in your life is, oh, just pray harder, or you know, something like that. It's like, well, I that I, I prayed and that didn't fix it, or I can pray all I want. It's not going to change the way this person is, or it's not going to change the chemical imbalance in my brain or whatever the circumstance might be. Prayer may be a component, but it's not necessarily always a multivitamin. It's not the be all end all panacea cure. Um, you kind of can't just pray and sit on your ass and not do anything about the things in your life that you probably have the ability to change or at least make some progress in changing. I think it's coming from both points of view of you're responsible and also you don't necessarily have to hook, line and sinker, take everything that this other human who might have a little bit of, you know, power influence, you don't have to just kind of blindly follow all of this or just that prayer and faith is all it takes.
2: Liam, so glad that you're able to come to the antidote for this talk. Thanks for taking the time for us.
1: Thank you for taking the time for me too. It's been a real honor and a privilege to spend this time with you. <laughs>